G'day all. Thank, thank you, yo. Right, 1997, I'm living on the RAF base down at Tyndall, the single airman's quarters, and life's one big adventure, full of lots of laughter and fun. And um, coming up, there's an event, the uh, airman's ball. Now, it's a black tie ball, and I look around Catherine, and I'm a little bit... I'm a little bit larger than the, the average man that shops in Catherine. And I find I can't find a suit in my size. Darwin's no better. We come up to Darwin, it's no better. And I think, what am I going to do? I need something. And I look down at this old wooden Singer sewing machine Mum's given me to sew up jeans and that. And I think, I wonder if I could put a suit together. Surely it's not that hard. <laughs> anyway, I drive up to Catherine, go up the spotlight. There's this bright yellow material with elephants on it. And I, so I come back to Catherine with this material and a pattern and I put together this suit. <laughs> now, we're living on Tyndall at uh, the RAF base and it's like one big family. And um, you celebrate all the special occasions with everyone there, whether it's um, births, funerals, kids' birthdays, and there's parties most weekends. Now, I've got a, a good friend, Tony. She was having a birthday, a 30th birthday. She's a single mum. Back then, she was single with uh, two kids. And she's enjoying life to its fullest. Um, so we go along to a 30th birthday party, and it's quite a good night. And um, about midnight, um, a lot of people are either going home or they're going back to Wings, who's one of the main nightclubs down there that us Raffies used to go to. But she's a bit worried about the kids because she hasn't organised anything. I go, oh, it's all right. I'll look after the kids. I'll just sleep on the couch upstairs. You go. So anyway, everyone sort of leaves the party. And there's a girl that I've been talking to all night, Sue. She's a quiet girl. Quiet to start with. She's got this so what black T-shirt with white so what emblazoned across the shirt. So, you know, there's that hidden spark there. Um, stays back to clean up you know, with me, and we just keep chatting. And um, once we finish, she goes home. You know, I'll go up and go sleep on the couch. In the morning, um, Tony wakes me up, I'm on the couch, and she goes, who cleaned up after the party? And I said, oh, yeah, I picked up a few things, and Sue gave me a hand. And she goes, Sue? Sue never stays with strangers. Anyway, we didn't sort of think too much more about it. The next night, I'm working late shift out in the, the RAF boat base, and um, the phone rings. And it's Tony. She goes, what did you really think of Sue? And I go, yeah, she was quite nice. You know, we chatted quite, quite well. It was a good night. She goes, I think we need to get you two together. I thought, OK, so Tony's a bit of a matchmaker there. So she organises, uh, we'll, we'll organise a, a dinner with friends. Little did I know, I was caught hook, line and sinker. There was Sue in the same room with Tony while she's on the phone. And I thought I was just talking to, talking to Tony. Anyway, we organised this dinner out and, um, with friends. And I asked her out on a date. And, um, and, to the, and I said, well, there's an airman's ball coming up. Would you like to come? And she goes, yeah, I go, OK, it's a black tie ball. And then I think, oh, oh what am I wearing? What sort of first impression is this going to make on a, on a date? So I've, first date, 
this is what I wore. <laughs> so I say to her, her and Tony are going to meet me out the front. And I said, well, I'll meet you out the front. I won't tell you what I'm wearing, but I'll stand out. <laughs> anyway, they turn up. Obviously, I don't scare her off. The nights are, are quite a hit. And... Um, she obviously accepted me for my loudness and my quirky sense of fun. She loves the material. She's a primary school teacher at the time, and she actually identifies that it's from a, a, a kid's book, Where Do Elephants Go at Night, by um, <laughs> Paul Salmon, I think. Anyway, I didn't know the book. She did. So I um, apply for a job with the Bureau of Met, and I get out of the Air Force. And um, this is three months after meeting Sue. And I'm all excited, yep, there's a new job, I'm going to travel the territory, you know, all different places. And uh, Sue, she's a pretty fantastic girl, I can't just let her slip away. So, we'd only, three months after I first met her at this party, went out to a restaurant in Catherine, and I asked her, will you marry me? And she responds, of course. <laughs> so... That was, the start, that was the start of the Australia Day weekend in 98. Now, uh, as a lot of you might know, that was the, um, that was the weekend with the... Um, <coughs> sorry. That was the weekend that Catherine flooded. Um, so we got engaged and a natural disaster followed. <laughs> Fortunately, it wasn't, wasn't an, it wasn't an omen. But instead of celebrating our engagement, we spent the weekend evacuating people out of houses. Um, I spent the time driving boats. I think I went into the Pine Tree Motel, into the car park next to me, the motors jumped up at the back, and I looked around, I look around behind me, and all I could see is a car aerial sticking out, and I go, oh, prop marks in the roof of a car, obviously. And Sue's at home with a washing machine running full time and supporting people who had got flooded and, and had no home left. But what we realised then was we, we made a pretty good team looking after people. So anyway, moved to Darwin, we get married, buy a house, and we decide to start our own family. Now, things, not everything went to plan. We were pretty good at the exercise of trying to make babies, but nothing was happening. And we find we have to go down the, um, the route of IVF. Now, IVF, it's not exactly the romantic way you sort of imagine when you're thinking of making babies. Hormone injections, mood swings, um, we're in a darkened room with mood music. I'm gazing into Sue's eyes while the doctor's down the other end harvesting eggs. And that's the term that they use, harvesting. I get to walk into a, a room by myself with it, and I come out with a paper bag with all the other bits and pieces needed to make a baby. But it's all worth it, because Sue's soon pregnant. We enter the second and then the third trimester. And so we've got a baby on the way. But... There was a complication just before the, the birth. Um, she's got an inflamed gallbladder, and the doctors go, well, that needs to come out. But we need to um, have the baby first. So she's pumped full of drugs and all that for a couple of weeks, and we have the baby, and the beautiful daughter, Kiri, she's born. But because Sue's waiting for a surgery, I become the primary carer for the first two weeks. Now... I've been around kids, but this is my first experience as a parent. And I remember the first, the first poo. There's Kiri. I've got her in one hand trying to get the nappy off in the other, and somehow 
I've got it on the singlet. And as I take the singlet off, it's smeared all the way up this poor baby. Sue's lying in bed with a, with a pathidine hooked up to her, crying, going, stop it, stop it. You, it hurts when I laugh. <laughs> anyway, the operation works and, you know, um, we, we go on um, back home, all that with our little family. Um, Kiri becomes about, Kiri's about two, and then Sue discovers she's pregnant. And we're excited, because it didn't require IVF this time. And, um, but that joy is short-lived, because she goes through a miscarriage and then has the second one. Now, it's a bit of an emotional drain on us, and Sue just says, I need a break. This is, I need something else to focus on, because this is just, it's, it was pretty tough. So Sue's always wanted to do foster care, and we decide, well, if we get into that, bring down plans for that forward and do it, it's something else to focus on and worry about, and still involves kids. Um, so we apply to the department to be volunteer foster carers. First placement we get is uh, two brothers, six and eight. We get them because their carers had a heart attack and um, can't look after them. So we look after them for two weeks until they, um, they actually go and live with their grandmother in Queensland. And to us, that was a great experience because here's these kids that they get to go back home and live with family. So more children come and go through our home. And then after a while, Sue's pregnant again and we still haven't been back to IVF. And it's great, it's amazing. Um, and that pregnancy actually goes without any complications. Um, we go and see the obstetrician, and he goes, oh, IVF? And we go, no. He goes, oh, pregnancy in the wild. And uh, 2005, Lachlan, our son's born. And we decide to have a bit of a break from foster caring. Um, so what we're doing, we're focusing then on our own kids. And that's pretty good. But after a while, we sort of... You know, there's our two kids, but we sort of love that feeling of having a, a house full of kids and the noise and everything that goes with it. So we give the department a ring and say, righty we're ready to uh, volunteer again. That was 12 years ago. So Sue and I have been foster caring since then. Now, Kiri and Lachlan have grown up, and it's quite normal to have extra kids in the house coming and going. Um, we tell them they're foster carers themselves, because when the kids come up, come in to our home, um, Kerry and Lachlan help, you know, so they're quite proud to tell other people we're foster carers as well. And um, when we haven't had kids for a while, they actually ask us, when are we getting more kids? So we give the department a ring and say, <laughs> have you forgotten about us? Or, you know. And um, look, one of, my, one of my early memories there uh, is we had four sisters that we were looking after re regularly for respite, uh, probably once a month. And there's a, a photo of, of, we've got mattresses all across the floor in front of the TV, and the four girls are on those mattresses, and Kiri's in the middle eating popcorn. And it's like, it's a big sleepover. We've become the adopters, aunties and uncles. Um, but foster care, and it also comes with its challenges. We had a 12-year-old boy in our house, and um, he's at school, and he comes home, all excited one day, and he goes, I've got a date. Oh, really? And she kisses on first dates. I'm going, how do you know this? All my mates have told me. I'm going, oh, rightio. Can I go onto YouTube and learn how to pash? 
what? Anyway, I go, no. And he goes, why not? I go, because what you'll find there is not appropriate for a 12-year-old. Anyway, I also get to learn how to lock down the internet quite tight because the kids that come and go through our house are a lot more adventurous on the internet than our own, own kids. Um, sometimes the challenges do you know, become quite great with the foster kids and, and we have had times when it started to impact on our own kids and we've had to say no to the department and that's quite heartbreaking because you feel like you failed but you haven't. You're just looking after your own kids. Over the last 13 years, we've probably had over 100 kids through our house, um, our home, and they range from eight weeks to 16 years. Some have come for a day, some for a fortnight, some for a month, and we, the longest we've had is three years. Now, that, that girl that we had for three years, that was, that was pretty good, because in the end, she went home to family back on community. Um, I've been asked why Sue and I began fostering. And I sort of struggle sometimes to answer because it's sort of something we fell into. And, I, and nowadays I find the better question is not why we began, but why we still do fostering. And it's, you're walking down the streets and you get a kid call out, John, Sue, and they run up to you. Um, you know you've been a, a positive part of their life or they're, they're at school. And they, um, they go out for a merit award. And you know that they're thriving despite whatever trauma they've been through. Um, it becomes a proud dad moment. Sue and I have given birth to two children. But I reckon our family's got more than 100 kids. And um, I laugh when people talk about a normal household or a normal family. Because the only thing normal in our house is what's sitting on a washing machine. 